we're doing this series uh, on around uh, David, and I want to pick up on that this morning. So to that end, I want to read you Psalm 51. <clears throat> this was a psalm that David wrote uh, after he got caught out with Bathsheba, remember? Uh, and David wrote this psalm uh, as a result of that. And allow me to read it to you. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing your righteousness of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And then <clears throat> I want to read from John's Gospel in chapter 8. Uh, this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Just the first 11 verses. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, This teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now 
and leave your life of sin just to there. And I thank God uh, for these readings from Scripture uh, this morning. Uh, we're in a series around David, as you're aware, if you've been coming over the last few weeks. Uh, today, <coughs> uh, or up to now, we've, we've looked at David, the nobody. We've looked at David, the giant, the giant slayer of uh, giants uh, and the persecuted, in case we're thinking that he's perfect. The story now shifts to David, the backslider. Bathsheba, remember? I was tempted to read you the whole of 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, uh, but I figured it was going to take a while. But you know the story of David and Bathsheba and, and their illegitimate child and, and all the rest. But we're going to move today and talk about David, the backslider, because he is the atypical backslider, I suppose. Just like David, probably the greatest challenge or challenges and temptations we face in our Christian lives, just like David, is sex, money, and power. No, not the in-laws. Sex, money, and power. More than any other, these three issues have the power to hold our lives to ransom. And it is these three things in our lives, just like David, that have the power to destroy us. Scripture is riddled uh, with accounts of wonderful, gracious, powerful, and talented leaders and people falling into the claws of sex, money, and power. And David was no exception, and neither are we, just in case you're not sure. The abuse of these three crucial aspects of life, and they're crucial, have caused the human race more pain and suffering than any others. If you stop and think about it, open your newspapers, watch the news, and somewhere in there you're going to find these three every single time. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, I may do anything I please, but not everything I do is good for me. And or maybe it should read, I may do anything I please, but I'm not going to let anything master me. Ha, ha. Ha ha. Who or what is your master? And we've all got them, folks. Paul, in that passage, really is saying, I am free and yet I'm not free. I rejoice in my freedom and yet I recognize that there are limits to my freedom. And so I'm prone to sinfulness. These words bring us face to face with one of the crucial most crucial dilemmas and critical issues in our world. In your life and mine, in your life and mine, how do we as Christians interpret and how do we exercise our freedom? And also, and probably more importantly, how do we deal with our sinfulness? Because if you feel that you don't have any sin in you, you can go home now. Because I've got nothing more to say to you. <laughs> you know, this is an issue that, that concerns or should concern every single Christian. Because you see, there's a little bit of David in all of us. David was a backslider. There's a little bit of backsliding in all of us. Someone once said, and 
these words, and they're so true. The oldest form of slavery is self-indulgence. We're so prone to the things that cause us to fall. A grief-stricken mother once wrote a letter to a newspaper telling the story of her son. He died at the age of 33, weighing 560 pounds. His parents had warned him of the dangers of obesity, but he always replied, it's my life and I'll do what I want with it. I can almost hear David saying that. It's my life and I'll do what I want with it. He was a man who had despaired of life's meaning. He committed suicide, leaving a note which said, I know that many people will condemn me for what I'm doing, but after all, it's my life, isn't it? Have you ever said those words? It's my life. Leave me alone. It's my life. Let me do with it. What do you think? How do you respond to statements like this? Is my life mine to do with whatever I please? Is your life yours to do with whatever you please? Is it no one's business but my own, your own? What do we think about the words, it's my life, isn't it? Yes, firstly, your life has been entrusted to you. It is your life and mine too. And we can do whatever we like with our lives. Yes, we are free, but... But do we know what a gift life is, really is? Do we know what a responsibility we have to live our lives to the best of our ability? God has created you and me to be special, unique individuals. In the entire world, there's no one else exactly like you. That's good or bad news, depends how you see it. God has something in mind for you. And only you can be the person God intends you to be. No one else. Try as we might. We've tried shaping our children. How many of us have succeeded in making our children do what we want them to do? Anybody get that right? If you have got it right, let me know. Because you'll be the first one. You know? God has something special for each and every one of us. But because God wants us to be persons and not puppets, and he's also set us free to be the best that we can be, God wants the relationships between us and him to be real. The other relationships of life to be real. The relationships between us and others between men and women, parents and children, colleagues, friends, neighbors, spouses, all to be real and to be a blessing. Is my life a blessing to the people around me? Is your life a blessing to the people around you? Because that's what God dreams for it to be. And the only way for relationships to be a blessing is for them to be free. God takes us so seriously that he's given us this freedom. We can do with it what we like. But, but the choice is something else. 
And so secondly, we may be free to do whatever you please or I please with our lives, but we're not free to make them turn out the way we want them to turn out. The consequences of our decisions are sometimes very different to what we want them to be. Whenever we exercise our freedom of choice, there will always be consequences. David discovered that to his regret. He let go, he slid, and he paid the price for it. There are consequences. If we do it right, there will always be positive consequences. If we do it wrong, there will be negative consequences. So for every action, there will be consequences. And I'm here to tell you that any old way of living just won't do. What we sow, we reap. When you jump off a three-story building, you expect the law of gravity to take you to the ground. That's the way the moral law works. If we lie continually, don't expect to be trusted. If we're not dependable, don't expect to be depended on. If we fail to give our best at work, don't expect promotion. If we refuse to study, don't expect to pass. If we don't care about other people, if we're unwilling to put ourselves out for them, don't expect other people to line up to be your friend. If we get involved with the wrong crowd, expect to get tarred with that brush. Succumb to sexual or illegal relationships that are wrong. Expect to pay a price for these David did. The consequence was the son born to Bathsheba died. It was that simple. That was the consequence, one of them. And if we neglect prayer and worship in the reading of Scripture, how can we expect to grow closer to God? If you plant millies, you'll grow millies. If you plant beans, you'll grow beans. You can count on that. It's the law of the jungle. You will never arrive at the right destination traveling in the wrong direction. I like that. I don't know where that came from. You will never arrive at the right destination if you're traveling in the wrong direction. And I wonder how many of us are feeling something like that. Of course we're free to do as we please with our lives. But we're not free to manipulate the results so that a life lived poorly will turn out well. If we live a life poorly, it's going to turn out poorly. That's one of life's most difficult lessons to learn. It's a difficult lesson because morals are for other people, we think. Consequences are things that happen to other people, we think. Why is it that we all think of ourselves as the exception to the rule? We know that, generally speaking, irresponsible behavior results in negative consequences. David's a classic. David and Bathsheba, it's a classic. And, and we think, no, it's not for me. Those rules don't apply to me. I can get away with it. Really? Isn't it amazing how we try to let ourselves off the hook? I can't tell you how many times I've listened to people say through their tears, I knew it was wrong, but I didn't think it would happen to me. Too late, they learned that what we sow, we reap. In my imagine some of you thinking, hey, that's a bit narrow-minded, Derek. Why can't I do what I want with my life? Well, you can. I 
keep saying that. You can. You are free. Just don't expect it to work out very well if you persist and go in the wrong direction. It's that simple, I suppose. This is so obvious, isn't it? Or is it? Let me say this. If we want, to, if we want life to be good for us, we better try to understand how God designed us or how God designed it to work and simply cooperate with that. If we're doing what God wants in our lives, we'll reap the benefit of that. I have to tell you that the most important thing I've learned in my years of life is that this world is designed to function in a God-centered way. And any other way doesn't work very well. God designed this world to work His way, a God-centered way. Any other way doesn't work all that well. And so if you're wondering where we're going with this, here's the good news. And I'm sorry I needed to just hammer this a bit. Here's the good news. How far out of reach all this sounds, however difficult it might appear, however messed up life may may appear to us, whatever you're dealing with in your life and my life, and it's easy to become despondent and depressed, especially if you consider what we've been through in the last 18 months or so. It's easy to have a sense of despair. The good news is that we're not alone, that we're not alone. No matter how depressing and grim and tough our lives are, no matter how ashamed, how afraid, how frightened, how despairing we are, we are still God's children. And nothing will change that, ever. And God is gracious. And David discovered that. David discovered that in the midst of his backsliding. David discovered that God is still gracious. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse verse 22b, in other words, the second half of that verse, we read, who knows, God may be gracious. It's an amazing story, you know. David the backslider caught out in his relationship with Bathsheba, organizing her husband's death in battle, getting her pregnant. You know the story. But God forgives him, please note. But also says that their child will die. And so, yes, there are consequences. God forgives, but there are consequences. If you go to David's story, he fasts and prays for seven days. And the child dies. But, but David gets up and resumes life. And one of the things he did was write Psalm 51. David fought a bear, he fought a lion, he fought Goliath. He could have run away from all of that. But I wonder how he would have felt about himself if if he'd taken the chicken run. Pardon my English. 
Because after all these successes came the fall. And if David had thrown in the towel, who knows where he might have ended up? As it turned out, David came out of all these experiences a better man. Better because he never allowed his circumstances to defeat him. Better because his faith in God never wavered. Better because he believed that God is a gracious God and would be gracious to him. And so the outcome of David's repentance was the birth of another child. And his name was Solomon. Yes, King Solomon. And now remember that woman caught in adultery. Jesus was gracious to her, but it didn't stop him challenging her to put her life in order, which is why I read you that passage. I think we need to adopt this mantra in our lives. Who knows? God might be gracious. Who knows? God might be gracious. And I don't know what your circumstances are. I suspect the last 18 months have kicked a few holes in some of our preconceptions. Who knows? God might be gracious. My friends, God, my God, our God, is an awesome, caring, forgiving, and loving God who is always gracious, who calls the backsliders away from their fallenness and graciously loves us and puts us back on our feet. And you know, the human condition is that we long to belong. We long to be loved. We long to be accepted. We long to be whole. There's a Spanish story. It was published in 1992, giving my age away. Of a father and a son who had become estranged. The son ran away. And I wonder how many buttons I'm pressing here. And the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. And finally, in a last desperate attempt to find his son, the father put an advert in a Madrid newspaper. And the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. On Saturday, 800 Pacos showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. I believe that God's call on our lives doesn't set us free to do exactly as we please. I believe we have to resist the temptation of money, sex, and power. If we can put these three aspects of our life into perspective, if we can trust God to provide for all our needs, then God will be gracious. Then God will be gracious. 
And so where are you today? How is your life? In our COVID world. How is mine? Are we feeling like David, maybe that we backslidden? I don't know if that's English, but never mind. Do we need to come home? <coughs> Have we got any unfinished business with God? Is our past haunting us? <coughs> <coughs> Do we need to set the record straight with God? Is there baggage in our lives that needs to be put down? Maybe today is the day. Who knows? God might be gracious. But I want to say this. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as unforgiven sin. In God's eyes, there's no such thing as unforgiven sin. I didn't say unconfessed. I said unforgiven. Why? Because God is love. David knew that. Maybe we need to know it too, that God graciously loves you and me. And so, please come. Please come home. Who knows? God might be gracious. The other little story to end. Written by a mother, of course. We had attended an activity program with our friends and their two sons, ages four and six, and were impressed with the boy's fascination at seeing the baby Jesus in a manger. The play was indeed realistic and convincing. Later at their home, the boys started arguing, and after ignoring repeated warnings to stop, their mother sent them to their rooms to ask forgiveness from Jesus for their disobedience. When the older boy rejoined us, His mother asked him if he had asked Jesus to forgive him. No, he replied. I asked God to forgive me because Jesus is too young to understand. (laughs) He's not, you know. He's not, you know. Thanks be to God uh, for his word to us this morning. Amen. Let's pray a moment. Oh God... We don't have to question whether you're going to be gracious or not because we know, we know that you are gracious. We know that you are loving. We know that you are caring. And that's not just between our ears. We've experienced it in our lives, every one of us, one way or another. And so, Father, please forgive us when we when we forget, please forgive us when we slide back into uh, something less correct. Forgive us when we allow the world to tell us another story. Remind us again today of your amazing grace.
Your amazing grace that loves us, dies for us, forgives us and sets us free. And puts us back on our feet. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your word that teaches us. Remind us, O oh God, that our sins are forgiven and that more than anything else, you want us to come home. And so in this moment, we take a quiet moment just to ask you to come alongside us and be gracious. And please hear the prayers that we're praying. And set us free to leave this place in a few minutes, secure in the knowledge that indeed you are gracious and loving and caring and forgiving. And we love you, Lord. And thank you for all that you mean to us in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.